Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everybody, this is Chris Malanfi, host of Hit Parade, Slate's podcast of pop chart history. Welcome to The Bridge. I say, the bridge is over, the bridge is over. Hey, hey, hey. The bridge is over, the bridge is over. The bridge is over, the bridge is over. The bridge is over, the bridge is over. That's Boogie Down Productions' The Bridge is Over, a classic rap track from the late 1980s. We're playing this song to give one last shout-out to our last episode about rap's crossover on the pop charts at the turn of the 1990s. KRS-One, who raps The Bridge Is Over, was himself a bridge between rap's old school and its golden age. These mini-episodes bridge our full-length monthly episodes and give us a chance to catch up with our listeners and enjoy some trivia. This month, I'm once again delighted to be joined by Slate Podcast senior producer TJ Raphael. Hi, TJ. Hey, Chris. How are you? I'm good. I'm a little tired. You know, we were recording this the day after the 2018 midterms. Yes, indeed. And I stayed up way too late, refreshing 538 and the New York Times. I fell asleep on my couch with my television on, uh, on mute, thank heaven. But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty zonked myself. So thinking about Beyonce and then also Taylor Swift, like both of the candidates they endorsed did not win. Can you think of a time where that endorsement really made a difference? I, you know, I don't think I can is the short answer because I'm I'm not sure that there's ever been a clear one-to-one connection between a musician endorsing a candidate. I mean, <laughs> to think of somebody who, who did have a connection, you have to go back before either you or I were born. I happen to know that... Um, I believe in the 1960 presidential campaign, no, no less than Frank Sinatra endorsed John F. Kennedy and with the song High Hopes. Everyone is voting for Jack Cause he's got what all the rest lack Everyone wants to back Jack. I think that, you know, that might have moved the needle, but... Who can really say? I mean, that was a close race. Uh, famously, infamously, frankly, uh, J- John F. Kennedy won his presidential race against Richard Nixon in 1960 in a squeaker. So I suppose it could be argued that every little bit helped. But um, no, mostly when music makes headlines connected to political campaigns, it's usually over an artist, usually a liberal artist, telling usually a Republican candidate, please stop using my song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we saw more of that this year. Rihanna uh, asked... Uh, uh, that um, uh, who was it that tried to use one of her songs? Well, it was President Trump at his rallies. That's uh, right. To, like hype everybody up. Like he was using "Don't Stop the Music." Yes, and... that's it. <laughs> Please don't stop the music. music. 
Somebody pointed it out to her on Twitter and she kind of clapped back right away and, and said, you know, no one, me or, or my people would never endorse that, basically. And, and I think she sent a cease and desist to the president of the United States. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, she, she made no bones about it. I mean, and then probably the most famous example of all time, it's usually cited in these conversations, is Bruce Springsteen in 1984 telling the campaign of Ronald Reagan to stop using Born in the USA. Which is such a, a, a signal example because not only did Springsteen not share Reagan's politics, obviously, it also was a complete misapprehension of what Born in the USA is about, despite that, you know, fist pumping chorus. Born in the USA is about, you know, the regrets of Vietnam veterans and, you know, a country turning its back on, you know, uh, the people who went and fought its war, you know. So uh, f- to be using that as a, a chest thumping, you know, jingoistic, uh, prideful political anthem was completely wrong and off key. Did did Fleetwood Mac help Bill Clinton win in 1992? <laughs> I think there were all sorts of reasons why Bill Clinton won in 1992. Right. I feel like Fleetwood Mac were kind of ancillary to that win. So, yeah, it's, it's a little hard to say. Well, I mean, speaking of the 90s, you know, our last episode was uh, all about 1991. So right before Bill Clinton was elected. And I was really struck by how much influence the retailers had on, you know, basically determining the, the charts. I I wanted to give people a little bit of the backstory on how the charts are formulated. And I'd been waiting a while to do an episode that was themed around SoundScan because it really is, as I as I basically said in the episode, the BCAD moment, the dividing line for how the charts work. I mean, even staffers at Billboard will say, in the SoundScan era, so-and-so has had this number of number one albums, and it's almost like a different yardstick. And Billboard acknowledges this because it, it... to a large extent, it's not their fault. Right through the end of the 1980s, they just did not have the technology, uh, either the barcode scanners in retail stores nor the you know computing power. Th- th- I mean, think about what a what a computer was prior to the 1990s right. to properly tally sales of records at the the cash register. Um, and uh, and SoundScan changed all that. And then the reason I keyed it to this particular episode about the rise of early 90s hip hop is because rap in particular, no genre other than country. And believe me, I've been toying with doing a whole episode oh about the rise of country <laughs> and Garth Brooks in the 1990s. That's a whole other oh topic. Goodness. We could we could talk for days about, right. about the career of Garth Brooks. Um, but rap and country benefited more than any other genre from uh, more accurate data because it got past the sort of built-in bias that the industry had, some of which was not even, you know, corruption. It was simply the fact that if you called up, you know, your average record retailer, he would sort of lean toward, you know, the same sort of rock and pop titles. And he maybe wasn't paying enough attention to the fact that, like, you know, an NWA album was actually among his better sellers. Uh, and they were just underreported until you had better data. Now the data is so, so, so good because you can, you know, you're getting streaming um, from things like Spotify and Apple Music and like you said, YouTube and... TJ, speaking of Spotify, let me just send a a quick message out to folks. I've been getting some tweets lately with uh, people asking whether we do Spotify playlists. 
uh, that are tied to our full-length Hit Parade episodes? And the short and happy answer is yes, we do. Uh, If you check the show page, the Slate show page, for each episode. And of course, if you get your podcast uh, through a podcatcher, uh, this is separate from that. But if you go to slate.com and you know look for the Hit Parade episodes, on the show page for each episode, uh, you will find a Spotify playlist that includes virtually all of the music at full length uh, that we included in the episode. So if, uh, if you're a Spotify user, by all means, Take advantage of those Spotify playlists. I also have a few small corrections, none of them uh, totally fatal, but I, I want to set the record straight on a couple of very little things. Uh, I, I actually appreciate it when folks tweet that they've caught something because, uh, you know, uh, it's it's useful sometimes to know that uh, I missed uh, a little factoid here and there. One interesting factoid, this was a rap episode, but I did briefly mention uh, some artists in the 80s who were not rappers who nonetheless scored big hits rapping, such as the Pet Shop Boys and Blondie. And among the ones I mentioned was Falco. And I called Falco German, but I was uh, told by a couple of our listeners, quite rightly, uh, including our devoted listener, Antti uh, Isokangas. Uh, he was uh, our caller on uh, Hit Parade the Bridge a couple months ago. Antti pointed out that uh, Falco, although his language is German, he is Austrian. So I regret that error. That's just a small note. And then one last item. This is not a correction. This is uh, simply a, a footnote. But uh, I mentioned this on Twitter, and I wanted to point out that the very day we dropped the uh, last episode, the Oh My God Becky episode about early 90s hip hop, uh, we talked extensively in that episode about Arrested Development. And that very day, Baba Auger, uh, who is Arrested Development's sort of elder statesman member, died at the age of 86. And we just want to send best wishes and a peaceful journey to uh, all the members of Arrested Development and to Baba Auger himself. Baba Auger was credited as the oldest man in hip hop. He was about 60 years old when Arrested Development broke in 1992. Uh, And he was not a performing member. He was kind of their spiritual advisor, they called him. Uh, He would appear with them on stage pretty much every time. Like you always saw this funky old man, you know, uh, standing on stage dancing to the music. So rest in peace, Baba O'Shea. Go Baba, go Baba. Many could get the club real hype, recite the people that rock a mic, but Baba O'Shea is the oldest one. Many could rock the dance, and plenty of hip-hop cats could dance, but Baba so now it's time for our listener contestant. Yes, indeed. Uh, joining us on the line, uh, I'm very happy to be joined by Richie. Richie, are you there? Yes, I am, Chris. Thanks for joining us on uh, Hit Parade the Bridge. Where Where are you calling us from? I'm calling you from Moorhead, Minnesota. Richie, uh, I understand you're also a Slate Plus member. Uh, have you been a Slate Plus member for uh, for a long time? Yeah, I believe it's been since 2015, so a few years here. Fantastic. I only bring that up because, uh, as listeners probably recall, while this Bridge episode is available to all Hit Parade subscribers, we only open our trivia rounds to Slate Plus members. So if you are a member and would like to be a trivia contestant, visit slate.com slash hit parade sign up. All one word. That's slate.com slash hit parade sign up. So, Richie, uh, as you will recall, uh, we have three trivia questions for you, and then you're going to turn the tables and throw a question at me. And in the three questions I'm asking you, uh, we're going to ask you one question about our previous episode of Hit Parade and two more questions that are kind of a sneak preview of our next episode of Hit Parade. Uh, Are you ready for some trivia? I am ready and excited. All right. Fantastic. Question one. 
In our last episode, I talked about big early 90s rap hits that were built around prominent samples of earlier hits. But which of these chart-topping singles was not built out of a sample? Its writing credits went entirely to the person who rapped it. A. Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby. B. P.M. Dawn, Set Adrift on Memory Bliss. C. Criss Cross, Jump. Or D. Sir Mix-a-Lot, Baby Got Back. Yes, Chris, I believe the answer is D, Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back. That is correct. I like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. And when a girl walks in with an itty-bitty waist and a round thing in your face, you get stung. Wow, Anthony, Sir Mix-a-Lot Ray, was inspired by the synth sound of Kraftwerk. His big number one hit contained no samples. The other three hits I mentioned were built out of prior hits by Queen and David Bowie, Spandau Ballet, and the Jackson 5, respectively. All right, fantastic, Richie. One down, two to go. Are you ready for another question? I am. This one's going to be a preview of our next episode. Here we go. In 1994, at the height of grunge and gangster rap, what Swedish pop act improbably had both the number one single and album of the year in America, according to Billboard magazine? A. Ace of Bass B. Rock Set C. Rednecks or D. The A-Teens Okay. Well, I am familiar with the sign from Ace of Bass and I've heard that playing in many shopping malls and airports, so I think that ubiquitous song would probably make me guess A. Ace of Bass And you are correct again. The correct answer is A. Ace of Bass Their single and album, both called The Sign, dominated the charts of 1994, a year that was otherwise driven by alternative rock like Pearl Jam and Green Day and gangster rap from the likes of Snoop Dogg and Warren G. Excellent. You are running the table here, Richie. Are you ready for a third question? Yeah, bring it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Question three. In the late 90s, the charts underwent a teen pop renaissance, with boy bands and teen girls taking over the Hot 100, singing frothy hits mostly written by Swedish pop craftsmen, foremost among them Max Martin. What was Max Martin's first ever number one song on the Hot 100, and who sang it? A. Do You Know What It Takes by Robin. B. Quit Playing Games With My Heart by the Backstreet Boys. C. Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. Or D. It's Gonna Be Me by NSYNC. I believe the first two songs never reached number one, and I know that Baby One More Time did, and that was released before It's Gonna Be Me. So I would have to guess C. Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. Richie, congratulations. You've run the table on all three of our questions. That is absolutely correct. I loved your deductive logic. Uh, While all four of these hits were written or co-written by the uh, Stockholm songwriter and producer Max Martin, Baby One More Time, released 20 years ago this fall, was indeed his first Hot 100 number one. (laughs) I'm so happy for you, Richie. Uh, I believe, and I could be wrong about this, that you are the first contestant we've had on Hit Parade the Bridge who has gotten all three questions right. So congratulations to you. That is quite an accomplishment. 
Oh, I'd love to have those back bragging rights, Chris. <laughs> it's a small fame, but it's uh, it's worth it. <laughs> I'll take it. Well, and now, now you can compound the victory by stumping me with your question. So I understand you have a trivia question for me. I, I do, Chris. Lay it on me. Okay. So Britney Spears has had tremendous success on the radio and in mainstream pop. She scored 15 top 10 hits on Billboard's pop mainstream top 40 chart. She has also enjoyed popularity in the dance club. In fact, she's earned 16 top 10 songs on the dance club songs chart. Which of these top 10 songs is Britney Spears' biggest dance club hit? A. Till the World Ends. B. Toxic. C. I Wanna Go. Or D. Gimme More. Wow. That is a very challenging question. And I will bet that the answer is counterintuitive. And I love at least a couple of those songs. Um, I mean, Toxic is a classic. So is Till the World Ends. I really like that one a lot. Um, because I truly don't know, I mean, I'm, I'm really going to have to guess here. I'm just going to go with one that I like. Uh, so I'll say Toxic. I'm sorry, Chris. That is not correct. <laughs> the answer is D. Give me more. It's Britney, bitch. Wow. All of these songs peaked at number one on the Dance Club Songs chart for one week. However, Gimme More outlasted the others, enduring for 17 weeks on the chart. Britney may have delivered a flop on the MTV VMA Awards show stage with Gimme More, but she served it up as a popular mover on the dance floor. Wow, that is fascinating, Um, especially given the context that you just shared about, you know, what a... um, yeah, the way that single was received when it came out at, at the height of uh, Britney's nervous breakdown and all that. So that is a fantastic trivia tidbit right there. Yeah, I, when I have tough days, I tell myself, if Britney could survive 2007, I can survive today. <laughs> that is a wonderful life philosophy, Richie. I got to hand it to you. That is great. Uh, yes. Well, you are now very clearly the biggest trivia victor in the history of uh, Hit Parade, The Bridge, in Ooh. our short history, because you both stumped me and got all three of the questions right. So you really get some serious bragging rights. Awesome. Nice job. Um, Richie, <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Th- thank you, seriously. It was such a pleasure talking to you. And uh, Yeah, likewise. All best, and uh, I hope you enjoy our uh, next episode of Hit Parade. Thanks, Richie. Thanks, TJ. Take care. Ciao, Richie. Chris, I can't believe you got stumped again. Our listeners are amazing over here. <laughs> yeah, no, Richie really brought the fire with that question. Uh, that was a good one. I, I and I truly didn't know. I, it was all guesswork for me. So uh, I'm, you know, the the upside for me when I blow it on a trivia question is, well, now I've learned a new factoid that I didn't know before. So that's how I'm choosing to view that one. Awesome. Yeah, well, I'm really excited for the next episode, which obviously we teased a little bit is about Britney Spears. She was pushing the envelope almost from the jump with Baby One More Time, right? But it was still music for teens and tweens back then. Some of the other antics that she got up to came later. Of course, what's interesting about Baby One More Time is especially the music video is so titillating in its own 
um, you know, faux innocent way. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in this episode. But what this episode is also about, as I indicated in those last two trivia questions, is about the craftsman behind the teen pop boom at the end of the 1990s, Max Martin, and how he really changed the sound of the radio uh, and and helped usher in a completely new sound for pop or, or at least a different approach to, to pop uh, hit creation. So we'll talk about Britney, but we'll also talk some about the Backstreet Boys in sync. Uh, and uh, it should be a fun time, uh, you know, taking us back. Can you believe it's been 20 years? Don't tell me that. <laughs> I know. I know. We all feel a little older. But, uh, it's true. It is 20 years ago that Baby One More Time by Britney Spears was released and uh, became a number one hit. Well, I'm so excited because I definitely grew up with Britney and with NSYNC. I was a Backstreet Boys fan personally. In the Backstreet NSYNC wars, yes. mm-hmm. you took the Backstreet side. Exactly. But so I'm so excited. So th- thank you so much for having me on the bridge again, Chris. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining me. I really uh, appreciate you, uh, you know, going down memory lane with me, especially about Britney. So uh, <laughs> so thanks again, TJ. Uh, one more time, I want to remind everyone that trivia is open only to Slate Plus members. If you become a Slate Plus member and want to become eligible to be a trivia contestant, visit slate.com slash hit parade sign up. Thanks so much, everyone. I'm TJ Raphael, senior producer for the Slate Podcast Network. And I'm Chris Malanfi. Keep on marching on the one. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.